Welcome to Retire Smarter with Kevin Krosky. Find answers to your toughest questions and get educated about the financial world. It's time to retire smarter. This is Retire Smarter, the podcast that helps you do what the name says, Retire Smarter. Walter Storholt here alongside Kevin Krosky, President and Wealth Advisor at True Wealth Design, serving you throughout Northeast Ohio and beyond. Check out all the episodes and subscribe links by going to truewealthdesign.com. That's truewealthdesign.com. This is kind of part two or maybe even a part three if we kind of bridge it back to uh, the first episode from November where we've been focusing and spending a lot of time on taxes. Uh, You could probably listen to today's episode on its own, but I would encourage you to go back and listen to some of those previous tax episodes. In particular, episode number 33 would be worth checking out, the one before this one where we really dive in and set the stage for a lot of the base information about different tax strategies, or as we said last time, Kevin, the the stuff that goes into a tax plan. Uh, Now we're going to talk about synthesizing all of those things, prioritizing the different strategies that come up. But of course, we're going to start with actually laying out what these different strategies are and, and what they look like. Yeah, you got it. So I was, I've was i been looking forward to this, Walter. I, I, I tried to set a, an expectation about what's to come, and I got excited myself just thinking about it. So what I'm going to go through today is, is you know, we helped a few people, a few new people recently. And a lot of times when you're first working with somebody, I mean, there's just a lot to do. You know, they've maybe they've been working at uh, the same employer for you know, 40 years or so and uh, just kind of socking money away in the 401k, getting some benefits that the employer is providing uh, for your compensation package. And then, you know, you get serious about retirement and say, wow, I better go talk to somebody that knows what the heck they're doing here because uh, things are getting complex and I want to make sure that I don't screw up. So whenever we have somebody like that that's coming in, um, a lot of times there, there hasn't been any sort of pruning or work done for maybe forever um you know they've they've accumulated a lot of things but there's literally just a lot that you you have to do and go into a new relationship with and we've had some interesting cases recently and it's a couple similarities and what i thought i'd do today is just kind of um blend two of them together to protect the innocent and confidentiality and just talk through it and what was the situation what was the fact pattern what were some of the things that we considered and how did we come up with what we came up with and so to go ahead and go down that path we'll we'll, we'll use the very the very creative names of Jim and Sue uh, so Jim and Sue came into the office and we started working with them and they were both in their late 50s and, and getting ready to retire here next year and you know, Jim had been working for the same company for literally it was about 40 years or so. And a uh, company here locally in Northeast Ohio, one of the largest employers, was Progressive Insurance. And uh, Progressive has some good benefits for their people and uh, also uh, has had quite a run in their stock price. And uh, Jim happened to have some Progressive stock in his 401k for quite some number of years and, and had that appreciate a lot. And uh, that's going to kind of play into one of the things, one of the opportunities that he had here. And Sue is uh, getting ready to retire herself, uh, also had been at an employer, uh, a couple different ones over the years. And uh, she was an office manager and was uh, getting ready to retire herself, and they were going to go out at the same time. So they had some money. Most of their money uh, was in the 401k plan uh, at Progressive. Some of the money was in you know, Roth accounts that both Jim and Sue had and put a little bit into over the years. 
they had a good chunk down at the bank. They had about $100,000 of cash that obviously had already been taxed, just sitting in the bank account. Get a small 1099 in January for the interest that you earned over the prior year. And they also had a, a joint account with uh, about $100,000 too, with uh, some different investments, you know, mutual funds and stocks that Jim had picked over the years and what have you. And we've had a pretty good run in the market over the last, particularly the last 10 years. And uh, he certainly had some gains in there. And so we had a lot of these tools at our disposal. You know, Jim and Sue had already done the plan. We showed them that, sure, yes, you guys live below your means. You probably could have retired a couple of years ago if you would have come in and seen us sooner, but you can definitely retire now as well. And, you know, you have the benefit of having more cushion or being able to spend more, whatever it is that you would like to do. And so after we had gone through that initial phase and, and really kind of formulated the plan and uh, they did confirm that, okay, yeah, we feel good. We're going to go ahead and cut the cord on our paycheck and retire. Then really kind of that second part of the plan, um, that distribution plan, you know, this tax smart distribution plan, if you will, we had to really figure it out. And, and Jim and Sue had some different competing objectives. They had a lot of opportunity, but we had to figure out, well, what's going to make the most sense for them? So if I go back to Jim's 401k for a moment, he had this progressive stock. And basically, whenever you own employer stock in your 401k plan, and, and I'm not really a big proponent of going out and buying you know, your employer stock. Uh, there's a lot of talk for another day, but there's a lot of good examples where that can go awry. I mean, something happens to the employer. Uh, not only could you lose your job, but the, your 401k goes down because the stock price just went down. Happened for a lot of companies back in uh, 2000 and, and even you know some of the banks here. National City used to be in Northeast Ohio. And now it's called uh, PNC or uh, previously National City. That's a bit of a joke if you're here locally, but it's not too funny if you actually work for National City. And so you don't want to put a lot of employer stock, but Jim did for no other reason. It was just kind of inertia. A lot of employers used to match with employer stock back in kind of pre-2002, and a lot of people just kind of let it ride. And, uh, and Jim was no different there. So what had happened over the years, progressive stock had done really, really well. And uh, cost basis of his stock was fairly low. It was only about 20% of the value. So just to put some numbers to this, let's say that the progressive stock was worth about 500,000 in his 401k. His 401k was a few times that. Uh, but the stock, uh, just the stock portion itself, not the mutual funds that were in there, but the stock was worth about 100,000. So there's something called NUA, which is short for net unrealized appreciation. And uh, I'm not going to get on all the details, but this is something if you have this opportunity, I would strongly encourage you actually talk to a professional because there's a lot of little details here that and if you screw them up, you could get some really adverse tax consequences. But in principle, what you can do is use a special distribution option where you actually take the stock in kind, meaning you just move stock from the 401k over to an account in Jim's name into a, a non-qualified account or what we also call a taxable account. And what happens when you do that is he has to pay ordinary income tax on the 100000 uh, but he doesn't have to pay any ordinary income tax on the growth. So in this example, let's just say that he moves all $500,000 of his employer stock over to an account in his name. He has to pay uh, claim $100,000 of ordinary income on his tax return for the cost basis of his stock, but the $400,000 gain is not taxed until it's sold. And when it's sold, it's going to be taxable at long-term capital gains rates. 
So uh, kind of a quick aside here, but we went through bracket management last time in the last episode. We talked about how the tax rates get higher with higher incomes. We really didn't dive into um, capital gain or qualified dividend rates, but in short, they, they're preferential. Preferential in the sense that they sit on top of ordinary income and generally they're taxed at a lower rate than ordinary income. So why would it make sense to do this NUA thing? Well, if you take $500,000 out of your 401k and you don't do it, then $500,000 is going to show up on your tax return. You're going to have to pay tax on it. If you use this NUA fancy schmancy option, then the 100000 in this case shows up on your tax return and you get to control uh, as far as you know when you want to realize the capital gain at that lower preferential rate. So if you're somebody that's done really well and you have uh, probably going to be in a high tax bracket forever, maybe you're close to 40% tax rate, well, the capital gains rate for you would be 23.8%. So Walter, Tough question here. I know you got beat up a little bit in the last episode, so I'll give you a chance of redemption here. That was, that was just w- some bad listening on the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> what would you rather pay, a 40% tax rate or 23.8? Okay, I can make this one happen, right? 23.8 sounds good to me. Winner. All, All right, right. We got so. one. <laughs> So, uh, yes, now this is you, you can increase oversim- the difficulty on the next one now that I got one right. Right. So you just All right, you keep, building you keep, the confidence. You, you yes. keep adjusting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, this is definitely an oversimplification. But the point being here, Jim had a big opportunity and the opportunity was maybe to get a lot of money out of his 401k and pay a lower rate than what he otherwise would. So that was one of the tools that we had in the tool belt here. You know, do we want to do this NUA and to what extent? We, we don't have to do all 500,000. Maybe we do half of that and maybe only 50,000 shows up on the tax return. But uh, that's something that we have to be mindful about. So that was one. The other thing that he had. Uh, so they were both 59 and they did not have any retiree medical insurance. So they were going to have to go out and get their own insurance. And if anybody's done this, uh, they'll know what a pain in the you-know-what it's been. And uh, it keeps changing every year, getting more costly. But there is something um, that is quite beneficial. And we have, I don't know, probably a couple handfuls of clients that are getting it and have the opinion like, you got to be kidding me. This is like almost too good to be true. And, and what that is, is under the Affordable Care Act, there's a tax credit that you can get for buying insurance, you know, individual health insurance on the exchange through healthcare.gov. And basically the way that this works is, um, so we went through the tax return and we talked about uh, AGI last time, adjusted gross income. And when you look at it for this healthcare tax credit, you could have two people, a family of two, it's basically based on uh, your family size And then it's tiered based on some percentage of the poverty level. I'm not going to get into all these details. It gets a little complicated. But in short, you could have about $64,000 of adjusted gross income in 2019 and get a tax credit. And the way that the tax credit works, kind of pausing here, debating whether I should even mention this. Again, it gets a little wonky. But I'll tell you what, here's a way to simplify and think about it. The way that the tax credit works is it's going to try to limit what you pay for health insurance to about 10% of your adjusted gross income. So 
if for Jim and Sue, let's say that we plan their income to be about 60,000, uh, then it's going to try to limit what they pay out of pocket for their premiums, not any out of pocket costs, but their premiums to about $6,000. And that if you're working right now, you hear $6,000, you may be saying, well, well, that doesn't sound that great. That's about what I pay. Or, or you may even be saying if you have a very generous employer, wow, that's a lot. Um, I can tell you that if Jim and Sue just go and get this health insurance and they don't have uh, a tax credit and it's completely unsubsidized, they're probably going to be paying on the order of about $14,000 per year. So, uh, Walter, all right, we'll build up the difficulty oh boy, here, here very, very slightly. <laughs> We're going to walk today, Walter, before we before we run. That's right. Um, so if supposing that they're going to pay 14000 and the tax credit is going to limit what they're actually going to pay to six, what's the amount of tax credit that Jim and Sue are going to get? So they're getting an $8,000 credit. Ding, ding, ding. Oh. Yes. Whew. All right. Your and, pause there scared me for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I definitely have to make these a little bit harder, Walter. I know you're a sharp guy. I can uh, add so. and subtract. It's It's, you know. <laughs> So multiplication and you know division oh it starts getting dicey maybe you know it's trying to do it on the fly while you're talking it's like walking and chewing gum at the same time you know you got it <laughs> and and so this this 14,000 that they would pay and, and frankly it would probably be actually a little bit higher than that uh, I can tell you in the case of Jim and Sue is it, it was actually a little bit more than it was about 16,000 and uh, so if your income is lower than that 64,000 adjusted gross income the tax credits higher Again, and say if your income is thirty thousand, then again use that ten percent rule of thumb. Uh, they're going to try to that be the way that the formula works is it's going to try to limit what you're going to pay to about ten percent of AGI or about three thousand in that example. Uh, so your tax credit is going to be higher. So as you look at this, there's a big incentive to keep your income low. And and I can tell you, Jim and Sue round numbers had about two million dollars that they had worked hard and saved and lived below their means and, and accumulated over time. Uh, they inherited a little bit of money from Sue's folks and uh, they, they were able to retire early in their 50s. And like I said, they probably could have retired a few years sooner. So they had several years from the time that they were retiring here come early next year until they were 65 and eligible to go on to Medicare. So we're potentially looking at about five years of credits. So Jim had this NUA opportunity, but in order to do that, we were going to have to go ahead and realize income uh, in the sense of ordinary income hitting his tax return. And then if we wanted to sell that stock, well, we were going to have a lot of capital gains that were going to be hitting the return. So, you know, that was going to go ahead and mitigate some of this tax credit that we could get for healthcare. And again, for Jim and Sue, this was a $15,000 tax credit per year, $15,000. And incredibly substantial. Again, take that over five years and okay, Walter, let's do some multiplication now. So what's $15,000 tax credit over five years? We're in the 75 range. Yes. Okay. Nice, Walter. Flexing some of those mathematical uh, muscles. Those, those, I knew I picked the right co-host. Those, those uh, calculator muscles. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you still have to have fast fingers. Fast so fingers, you, you got it. <laughs> So literally 75 grand in terms of tax credits that they're going to get over the next few years. Now, a quick aside here, I can tell you that the they were completely unaware of this coming in before they met us. It was almost a bit of disbelief at first. And I can tell you they are not going to pay us $75,000 in advisory fees over the next five years. So we're already in the black and they're pretty happy that they met us. So, so far, so good. So that's one. So th that tax credit is quite beneficial. And again, if we did this NUA on surface, it looks great. You know, 
who wouldn't want to go ahead and get money out of their 401k, pay a little bit in ordinary income tax on that cost basis for that NUA stock, that employer stock, and then maybe get those capital gains out and maybe even get them out at 0%. But if they were to do that, then it's going to blow up that tax credit that they didn't even know about before they met us. So those are two things that we're looking at there. The other thing that you could get into and say, wow, you know, a lot of things that people talk about, we've been big proponents of for many, many years and have executed for many clients over those years is our Roth conversions. And Roth conversions are basically moving money from your IRA, your 401k and the yet to be tax bucket over into the Roth IRA in the tax-free forever bucket. And in order to get it there, you pay whatever today's tax rate is. We don't move all of the money over from your IRA or 401k. We do a targeted amount. And something we talked about last time was bracket management. Basically filling up those low brackets certainly makes a lot of sense. One of the things that we mentioned last time was you could have a little bit more than $100,000 of taxable income you know, coming out from your IRA, hitting your tax return in retirement, and you're not going to pay a higher rate than 12%. So not too bad there. So if you are in that kind of that low, nice low bracket and you have room there, then something that we do, I don't know, probably for, I, w- I wouldn't even know, maybe 30 different of our clients, 40 different of our clients that are in retirement and have some room in that low bracket, we just say, look, here's about how much room we have. Let's go ahead and move that money. We'll pay the tax at today's low 12% tax rate. Even if rates just revert back to what they were uh, in 2017, which is current law, that 12% rate goes to 15. Another softball, Walter, before I got to find a hard one for you, what would you rather pay, 12 or 15? Yeah, 12%. We'll take it every day. You got it. So, and for Jim and Sue, I was waiting for you to the, have some sort of catch there. Like, yeah, but I didn't tell you that you were going to get a five percent, uh, you know, cash back on your fifteen percent investment or something like that. Yeah, and, and I, I know I'm asking you some very easy questions here, Walter, and it's not. To be fair, I, I, I really blew that last one on the uh, previous episode, so I don't blame you for taking us back to square one. I just haven't come across a better one yet, there so I'm, I, I, it's not indicative of how I think of you or your mental capacity. So. I'll, I'll do my best to give you a tougher one here, but most of the $2 million that Jim and Sue had was in this yet to be tax account. Sue had a pension that she was going to have from working at an employer for a while. Uh, they both had very healthy social security benefits. They were going to have when their income sources just from the pension and social security started, they were going to have about a hundred thousand dollars of income hitting their tax return. And then they have, you know, all the money that's in their IRA and 401k yet to be taxed. And that grows over time. Maybe that's going to be, you know, who knows? Maybe it's going to be $3 million by the time they get in their 70s and have to start taking that money out because of those required distributions. And, you know, if that plays out that way, roughly speaking, that's going to be about another hundred, $110,000 that's going to be hitting their tax return. So now all of a sudden they find themselves to be in a higher tax bracket than what they ever were. And because they're doing that good too, now their Medicare premiums are paying uh, IRMA adjustments on it, which we kind of briefly mentioned last time. But point being, you know, generally, if you can pay a lower tax rate today than you are going to in the future, that's a good thing to do. But it was not a good thing to do for Jim and Sue. So again, we had this idea about, hey, this NUA thing looks really great. We can, they definitely have a tax problem long term because, you know, they're going to have all these income, all this income coming in from Social Security and pensions. And wow, their IRAs are going to keep growing over time and getting larger. And then that's going to make the required distributions even bigger and more income hitting their tax return. So maybe we should just go ahead and start moving it out now. 
And if we would have done that, that would have been the exact wrong thing to do because we've been blowing up their Affordable Care Act tax credit, which is just way too beneficial to go ahead and, and pass by. So they had this credit. Again, for them, it's going to work out to be about $15,000 per year. As Walter quickly calculated, about $75,000 over five years. We want to do everything that we can to go ahead and capitalize on that and make sure that they get that credit. So we're, we're going to go ahead and hold off on moving money out from you know, the IRA and moving it into a Roth IRA. We're going to use a little bit of that money for spending, but basically we're going to do everything that we can to go ahead and keep their, their adjusted gross income somewhere around the $20,000 a year neighborhood to maximize that tax credit because it's just more valuable than anything, any other tool that we have in the tool belt. Now that sounds great. You know, hey, let's go ahead and let's keep our taxes really low. But Walter, okay, here's an open-end question, definitely not a softball by any means. If we're going to keep our taxes really low, how are we going to get the money to them that they need for living expenses? Ooh. Uh, so if we're going to keep taxes low, how are we going to get them money? Well, we run into problems, right? Because the more we withdraw, the more taxes we create. So then where does that money come from? Is that kind of what you're getting at a little bit? Yeah, like the old Tom Cruise movie, show me the money, right? You, yes. <laughs> you know, you don't want to just do planning here to save taxes, and meanwhile, you can't spend any That's money. right. That's we got you down to only paying 1% in taxes, but you can only take out $1,000 a year from your account. <laughs> yes. You, no electricity. You are using candles, and you better chop some wood, right? Uh, yeah, we're not going to do that. That's not the business that we're in. So what we're doing for them, um, it's a couple things. Um, so they're working this year. We're actually going to go ahead and um, we are going to go ahead and forego one of the years of the tax credit. We're, we're basically going to, we're not going to completely blow it up, but we're not going to, it's not going to be a 15,000. It's going to be, a, we're going to have that adjusted gross income, you know, closer to the $64,000 level that I mentioned. So it's the credit is going to be more on the magnitude of maybe about $8,000. So we're going to do that. We're going to forego some of the credit because <laughs> we need some money. So we're actually going to go ahead and use Jim's NUA. We're going to go ahead and take some stock out of the 401k. We're going to use that this year to go ahead and sell some stock. So we're basically going to kind of plan it out. So the NUA is going to be at a level where the ordinary income that comes out, coupled with the capital gains that we're going to have to realize when we sell it, is not going to completely blow up the tax credits. It's going to be at the upper end of the range and kind of phase out some of the credit, but not in totality. And then that's going to give us some dry powder to use for the years to come. And then we're going to supplement that with the cash that they have on hand, which is about $100,000. And then also uh, from years 2021 through the time that they turn 65, we're going to take about $20,000 out of his IRA 401k per year. So he's still going to be around that 20,000 target. We're going to have to pay very, very little tax, almost no income tax whatsoever. Um, but that's going to give him some of the money. And then the other money that we're going to free up from, you know, basically taking his employer stock out and then selling it, which is going to give us a lot of dry powder to go ahead and bridge the gap should pretty much last until they turn 65. Again, cash on hand, employer stock that we're going to take out, pay a little bit of ordinary income tax on, have to pay some capital gain tax on, but then uh, future IRA distributions up to about $20,000 per year. All this is basically being synthesized to go ahead and meet the amount of money that they need. Depending on how much they spend, you know, they want to take some trips, you know, they're going to have to buy a car. We don't, there's some expenses every year we know that are going to be there for Jim and Sue. Other things going to be a little bit more, a little bit less, 
it's just going to have to be flexible. But frankly, if we get all the way out to year 64 and we say, hey, you know, we've kind of run out of dry powder. We don't want to blow up this tax credit again. So here's the choice that we have, Jim and Sue. So we have another year to bridge here. We'd like to keep your taxes, you know, your adjusted gross income very low, maybe around this $20,000 threshold, get you this $15,000 credit. But if we pull more money out of the IRA, then your adjusted gross income is going to go higher. Tax credit is going to go lower. What we could do, and this is something that's you know has some emotional considerations that's built into it as well. But Jim and Sue have a house that's completely paid off. We say, look, let's just go ahead and and any gap that we need to go ahead and fill for spending, you know, in this year of you being sixty four, and assuming that the spending um, is kind of consuming all the uh, the resources that we've had from that we've kind of freed up from all these different strategies we just talked through. But why don't you just go ahead and, and maybe get a mortgage uh, or use a little bit on a home equity line of credit? And then as soon as you're 65 and this tax credit is gone because now you're on Medicare, let's just go ahead and we'll just pay it off. And Walter, think with, about this with me for a minute, but interest rates are pretty low. If I'm not mistaken, I believe you and your wife just built or just bought a new house not too long ago. Yep, last year. Mm-hmm. All right. Where's your mortgage interest rate, Walter? So we are at uh, 5%, although probably about to refinance into the threes, hopefully. Yeah, I was just going to suggest that. So uh, (laughs) you got it. And you could even get a home equity line of credit. We have some clients uh, now in like kind of the the mid to high three range, but let's just say it's 4%. Let's say you borrow $100,000 on a line of credit for your spending. This is what Jim and Sue do in the year that they turn 65 to go ahead and bridge the gap. Well, if you have a 4% rate on $100,000 home equity line of credit, how much interest do you pay per year so in that one year? 4000 bucks. You got it. Walter, you are shining today. I didn't buddy. even have to use the calculator on that one. <laughs> nice. So let me ask you, and now this is going to be tricky, Walter. Would you rather pay $4,000 in an interest expense or get a $15,000 tax credit? Hmm. Hmm. Oh, hold on. Cue the Jeopardy music. All right. Four thousand dollars in interest credit, you said? Or would in- you rather pay four thousand dollars in mortgage interest or would you rather get fifteen thousand dollar tax credit for your health care? Oh. Obviously, no brainer. I th- right? I th- oh, OK. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was thinking both were expenses. Yeah, I'll take the credit. I set you up there. It's like, I think my... Uh, Again, I overthought my, it. I'm like, all right, would I rather lose 4000 but is it going to have tax implications? I, I got you now. I got you. Yeah. So it's, you know, a lot of times people... You gotta, you're going to have to go back down to addition. I messed that one up. <laughs> sorry. sorry. I, was, uh, I thought it was tossing you a softball. It turned out to be a curve. That, but see, I, I kept expecting them to get harder and harder. I didn't know you were going to go backwards. So I, had, yeah, I, I hadn't so, retrained. Isn't that interesting, though? Not to, I'm not going to blow this hole off into another track, but how the brain works of like, because I was expecting it to be a harder question, I missed the, ob- the very, very obvious answer because you're just your brain expects it to be something harder than it really was. Well, it could be that, or and, and, you know, it could be also that, I mean, Walter, you're not, uh, you're fairly sure. <laughs> it could also body. be that you're from the South, but, you know. <laughs> no, I was not going to say that, but it could be that, hey, we, we've talked about a lot of stuff here, and, you know, I've rattled this stuff off, and hopefully it's clear to everybody, but I would venture that for some people, it's not clear. Um, you know, my uh, somebody in my office, one of my team members, a couple of years ago, bought uh, this little placard for me that I have on my desk. It says, "I can explain it to you, but I can't understand it for you." <laughs> <laughs> so, 
sometimes i mean this is what we do every day right i mean we're kind of in the thick of uh this fourth quarter you know tax and distribution planning stuff that we're doing for clients we've been doing this for years you know venture uh, i say that we're we're experts in this area but um this may seem for some people like it's coming at them from like a fire hydrant and walter you talk with a lot of people like me this is what you do and and you're certainly no slouch when it comes to this stuff but you know frankly maybe you're not even immune to it either you know i mean it's just a lot of stuff to go ahead and synthesize and prioritize and and maybe i haven't done a good job explaining it that's certainly possible too but it's just maybe we all need a little bit of humility about how difficult this stuff could be as we as i said last time walter as we move up bloom's taxonomy to go ahead and synthesize this stuff into a cohesive strategy I love so, it. I think, um, you know, just to, to put a bow on that before we move on to kind of the next tax strategy here is that, you know, this is an audio medium, right? So for somebody listening to today's show, if there are things that you're like, ooh, I don't, I don't get that, or that was really hard to understand, I don't think it's because you fall in the category, Kevin, of, um, you know, advisors who try to make things sound complicated so that people don't understand it and say, just do it for me. You seem to attract a lot of response and feedback from folks who appreciate the depth at which you tackle some of these things and the fact that you're helping educate people along the way. If on the podcast every once in a while you lose a step like I do, <laughs> don't, you know, we're going to be humble here. It's fine. But in the office, I'm going to imagine that it's a lot easier for you with, you know, visuals and, and showing people on paper. And when you're specifically talking about their situation and not a hypothetical, it sinks in a lot easier when folks are face to face with you or at least going through their own particular situation, if I had to venture a guess. My goal is when I go over something like this with a client is they come away with it being crystal clear and seeming to be easy. And if that's the case, that will tell me that I've done a great job simplifying it and just giving them what they need to know to make a smart, informed decision to help themselves. Meanwhile, there could be a ton of complexity belying it. But that's it's like teaching, right? Or or writing. You know, you could write something in in two thousand words, but uh, if you really had to write two paragraphs to be really succinct and clear to distill it down into you know a couple hundred words, is much more difficult than writing something in two thousand words. So it's I think over time, the more experience you have, and the more wisdom you have, and you can really get the, the crux of what matters. I, I I want clients to feel like, hey, this is pretty simple. It's clear. This is the decision we're going to make. But a lot of times, I mean, for this case that we're talking about, I mean, there's uh, another advisor uh, that we were working with uh, that was helping with on this. And anytime one of the, the team members comes into my office and asks for help, uh, you know, the first thing I do is ask them a question, something on the order of, well, what do you think? And I want to make sure that they're they're wrestling with it and learning and moving up Bloom's their own Bloom's taxonomy. Um, but we worked on this one, and this was one where, you know, frankly, there was a, a lot of spreadsheet, custom spreadsheet in here because the answer wasn't clear. And any of the software that's out there can't really do this stuff, and you have to know it and, uh, and know how to work it and synthesize it. And, and most importantly, work around the client's cash flow constraints. And, you know, they want to live the life that they want to live, and we have to figure out, well, what's the smartest way to get them the money in light of all these competing objectives? And so that's really, I mean, there was a lot of complexity here. Uh, sometimes, you know, after you've been doing this a while, I can look at something and, you know, I solved this problem 10 times before and, you know, I know the answer. And um, you can just tell somebody off the cuff, you know, here's 
here's what it's going to be. I mean, I can do the numbers, but this is what it's going to end up at. Uh, but this was one where it's just some unique attributes. And with the NUA and, you know, there's certainly the, the tax credit is valuable. It's very valuable. And the other thing I'll mention here, and I'll kind of go off on a tangent and go outside of Jim and Sue. But, you know, we mentioned these Roth conversions. Um, the other thing that I can't recall if we mentioned here, this stuff kind of runs together sometimes, but, you know, for actually this does apply to Jim and Sue, but, you know, he has this progressive stock that he takes out through the NUA and he's got this capital gain whenever he sells it out of his individual taxable account. Well, again, if he does that and he's in this 12% tax bracket, um, what happens for those capital gains are that they're taxed at a 0% rate federally. We have to pay a little bit of state income tax here in Ohio on it, but 0% federal. So what we talked about last time in terms of the bracket management was, hey, you know, you, you want to be mindful about these jumps. You know, you go from 10 to 12, not a big deal there in terms of the tax rate jump. You go from 12 to 22, much bigger jump. Uh, you go from, say, 0% capital gains, long-term capital gains rate to 15 that's an even bigger jump, you know, going from zero to 15. So that's a jump. Or you look at the Roth conversion and say, hey, I can pay 12% today. But as in the case of Jim and Sue, when they get in their 70s and they have to take out these required distributions, they're probably going to be paying 25 or 28%. Um, and if the alternative minimum tax comes back, maybe even a little bit more. But the differential there is, you know, is it 12 versus 25? And so they have all these tools in their tool belt. And we as advisors have to go through this and figure out, well, again, we here's how much money they need. So that's kind of rule number one, meet the cash flows, you know, have that retirement paycheck set up, do that tax market distribution plan. But we have all these other strategies that we then have to work through and say, well, okay, you know, do we want to go ahead and realize gains at 0%? Let's take the tax credit off the table for a minute and say, well, you know, or do I want to do a Roth conversion? I'm like, well, look, I mean, the, the rate between 12 and 25, current rate for, say, what you would pay on a Roth conversion for Jim and Sue versus what they're probably going to pay in their 70s, 12 versus 25 is a 13% tax rate differential. If I go to the long-term capital gains and say that he sells some of that progressive stock, he could pay 0%. Or it could pay 15% later. So it's a 15% rate differential. All right, Walter, you're going to get back on the softball wagon here. What would you rather pay? Or what would you rather save, I should say, at a 15% rate or at a 12% rate? The 15. You tried to flip it around on me there. Yeah, you know, you're good. <laughs> so for Jim and Sue, the money that they have in their taxable account, again, uh, stuff that capital gains, uh, unrealized capital gains, they could go ahead and realize it. Uh, let's take the tax credit out of the equation and just say, look, you know, hey, we can go ahead and live on some of this. Uh, we can pay a 0% rate now. Uh, we can go ahead and save potentially a 15% rate later if we're going to use it for spending. That 15% difference looks pretty attractive. We say, let's go ahead and do that. However, let's say that Jim and Sue aren't going to use that money. In fact, I would argue that they're probably not going to need to. Again, $100,000 in retirement income from pensions and Social Security have the required distributions that are going to come out you know, down the road when they get in their 70s, they're probably going to have more income than what they know to do with. So in a case like that, when this money that's in this taxable account is going to be either left on more likely than not for their kids, maybe used to donate appreciated securities to their charity, uh, their church, something that they support and can get a charitable donation for. I would say that, hey, I mean, if the money is going to be there, we already invested very tax efficiently. So there's very, very little tax drag on it. 
let's just go ahead and do that. And, uh, you know, even though on surface, that 15% difference between zero and 15 initially looks more attractive than saying, hey, I'm just going to go ahead and do that Roth conversion and save at a 13% tax rate. I would just go ahead for Jim and Sue's because that taxable money is going to be left on. I would go ahead and prioritize the Roth conversion where the reverse would be. Maybe there's not as much money uh, in that taxable account. Maybe Jim and Sue don't have the kind of uh, maybe, you know, whoever it is, um, Dave and Tony uh, don't have enough uh, money, as much money as Jim and Sue do. You know, their required distributions aren't going to be as high. They're going to use the money for spending uh, that's in the taxable account. I would go ahead and prioritize that because it's not going to be leave on money. It's going to be money that they're going to live on. Uh, so again, I'm kind of talking through a few different things here, but the point being is, you know, Jim and Sue themselves had a lot of different kind of cool things that they could do to save on taxes, but you know, which one is better than something else. And, and again, you have to be mindful about, you got to meet their cash flows first and foremost. Uh, so the tax rate differential matters a lot. That bracket management that we talked about last time and, and went into a little bit further this time matters a lot. But everybody's a little bit different. There, you know, we started talking in the beginning of the last episode about very few financial advisors actually do tax work, and even if they do, they're talking about it. They're just talking about the stuff, as I so eloquently put it last time, the stuff that goes into here. Um, but they're not really kind of doing the work where you're getting into and saying, well, which one's better? Which one am I actually going to do for this client and why? And synthesizing all the information and crafting what is really going to be a tax smart distribution plan for them. And by doing so, it means their money's going to last longer. They're going to be able to spend more. They're going to keep more in their pocket, leave more to their kids, you name it. But all those things that come out of just controlling things that we can control. And when we do that as well, one of the things I really like is it's going to make all of our clients less reliant on the investment returns that the market is going to give us or take away, you know, temporarily. So that's really kind of what we're getting into. Hopefully, uh, I know this was got a little bit into the weeds. My hope is that it was uh, somewhat clearer than mud for most people and maybe something that, you know, some want to go back and listen to again. But I'm quite confident that it's probably something that a lot of people have not heard before, how you actually bring this stuff all together and get beyond just the stuff that more people commonly talk about. Sounds to me like Jim and Sue made out with a uh, pretty robust and in-depth financial land uh, tax plan that, again, I hearken back to that stat you dropped on us about only 7% of advisors are doing this true kind of planning out there, which is just kind of astounding. I should say it's tax work, um, the 7%. But, you know, if you're not doing that part of it, maybe there's a little bit higher portion that do some planning. But I can tell you that, again, my experience, I'm very well connected in the financial planning community. We've hired a lot of advisors over the years. Just the knowledge on taxes, just it's just not there. Uh, You've got <laughs> the in anecdotal a, evidence to back it up, too. Yeah. And if you start asking, you know, if you're working with an advisor, just start asking some of these questions, you know, start asking about, you know, hey, how do you manage the tax brackets? Or we had a good, uh, and I, sh- I think I shared this on a prior podcast episode, but we had a client, I have a client that is helping her brother out and uh, her brother, uh, she's power of attorney for her brother. Unfortunately, her brother's ill and really can't manage his finances anymore. 
And uh, she called uh, his advisor and said, hey, we need about $25,000 for my brother's care, for his health care. And uh, the advisor responded, well, that, great, he has plenty of money. Just tell me which account you want to take it out of. And uh, her response was, well, I thought that's your job to tell me which account it's best to take it out of. And uh, sadly, uh, that was something that they didn't help with. So again, it kind of just gets back to, you know, hey, what makes most sense for the client? We have to figure this stuff out. They're coming to us for guidance. You know, we're in the position to help them rather than just point the finger and try to tell them to go to their CPA or tax advisor. And, and then, oh, by the way, there's a catch-22 there because, you know, most CPAs tend to work with the big business owners and don't do individual income tax planning. So a lot of people are left to their own vices. And even if they think there's something that they can do, they can't really get the help to get it done. And that's why we kind of developed this expertise over the last 10 years or so. Well, the expertise was on display in today's episode, and uh, I did enjoy the walkthrough uh, that you gave the uh, you know theoretical Jim and Sue in this case. Of course, uh, a couple of details changed in here to protect the innocent whenever we go over you know client details and stories and those kinds of things. But amazing to see the level of depth that is required sometimes for a true financial plan to get put in place. And uh, if nothing else, that's a great takeaway on today's show, just to realize that there are lots of opportunities out there, but you've got to know where to look, how to implement them, and then kind of that extra nuance on today's show, how to prioritize the different strategies. Just because you can do something, as you illustrated multiple times, doesn't mean you should when you look at the larger picture. So that'll be something that I certainly take with me on today's show. Uh, hey, Walter. Yeah, go ahead. One of, the, one of the things I would mention is, you know, you, and you mentioned this already, but sometimes it's better to read this stuff and digest it. I have a report that I wrote. Uh, it's called Plan for a Tax Smart Retirement. And uh, it, it's about a 20-minute read, but it talks through a lot of these things that we went through today verbally. And uh, I think only the teaching community or the learning community would say that I think only about 7% of the population are auditory learners. Um, many more are learned by reading. Some are kinesthetic. Uh, a lot are actually kinesthetic learned by doing. But if anybody wants to read, uh, just go ahead and go to our website. Uh, if you click on the contact us, just send us a note and just go ahead and put uh, in the note that you'd like the report for a tax smart retirement. And we'll be sure to get that out to you. Again, we'll put a link in that in the description of today's show as well. It's truewealthdesign.com. Click the Contact Us button. We'll also put a link in the description of today's episode. So if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Google or Spotify or something like that, just look in the show description. You can click on the link right there. That'll take you to the page where you can make that request if you want to get that helpful uh, guide. Good read it sounds like, uh, to get some more details on the things we talked about today. You can also call the team at True Wealth Design at any point in time, 855-TWD-PLAN. That's 855-893-7526. You know, something else, by the way, I talk a lot about, Kevin, and your team serving Northeast Ohio and that you have offices in Akron and Canfield. But I think it'd be good to mention, too, we've got a lot of listeners who are from outside the Northeast Ohio area, and you've got clients that are all over the country as well. So if you kind of want to engage with Kevin and his team, but you don't live in Northeast Ohio, Kevin, I'm right that people can still reach out and, and talk to you about working together and getting some help with their plans. You got it. And, you know, if you are a snowbird or thinking of becoming a snowbird and maybe uh, having a second home in a in a low or no tax state, oh, my gosh, we got even more tools in the tool belt to do some planning. There you go. And some some personal experience from uh, spending some time down in Florida, right? 
<laughs> you got it. Look, as I see white stuff out the window right now, we'll be looking forward to make the great migration here after Christmas. You're, you're ready to jettison right now. I can feel it. That's too funny. That'll get you away from this all the sickness too, right? Get you to a warmer climate without everybody hacking and coughing. <laughs> Not bad at all. Fingers crossed. Fingers yes. crossed. Again, truewealthdesign.com, your place to go on the site if you want to get in touch that way, truewealthdesign.com. Well, Kevin, that is our uh, final episode of uh, 2019. It was uh, a great year. Really enjoyed doing the show with you, and I'm looking forward to what uh, 2020 will have in store for us as well. Likewise, Walter. You're, you're a great co-host. I very much appreciate it and uh, look forward to 2020. We'll see you in the new year. Thanks for joining us, everybody. For Kevin Krosky, I'm Walter Storholt. This is Retire Smarter. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed. All performance reference is historical and not an indication of future results. Benchmark indices are hypothetical and do not include any investment fees.